0: You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Good morning, this is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my Money Talk podcast for Monday the 27th of March. In the headlines today, a slide in the shares of Deutsche Bank on Friday reignited worries over the health of the banking sector. Shares in Germany's Deutsche Bank fell by 14% at one point, with other lenders also seeing big losses. Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz sought to shore up confidence in the country's biggest bank and rejected comparisons between Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse. Deposits at US lenders have posted the biggest decline in nearly a year, caused almost entirely by a rush to withdraw funds from smaller institutions. Deposits at small banks fell by 120 billion US dollars, the largest outflows on record, while those at the 25 largest financial firms rose almost 67 billion dollars. Many depositors poured cash into higher yielding money market funds. More than 117 billion US dollars flowed into those accounts in the weekend ended March the 22nd. Traders in the Fed Fund's futures markets have abandoned wages that the Fed will raise interest rates in May and June and added to bets that its next shift will be a rate cut as early as July. Swap rates linked to policy meeting dates now show cuts totalling about one percentage point by year end and year end rate expectations are now a stunning 150 basis points lower than what the Fed expects. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management and Louis Coise, Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. With a view from mainland China is Ben Carinder, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. U.S. stocks rebounded from early losses on Friday. The day began with fears that the banking crisis was spilling over to Deutsche Bank before European officials gave reassuring commentary that the banking sector was safe and lenders were healthy. The S&P 500 slid 1% in the first hour of trading before snapping back and notching its second straight week of gains. It closed Friday's session 0.6% higher at 3,971. It added 1.4% over the last five trading days. The Nasdaq Composite Index ticked up a third of a percent to 11,824, giving it a winning week with gains of 1.7%. Regional banking stocks helped the market bounce back on Friday. The KBW Nasdaq Regional Banking Index closed 2.6% higher and was up 0.6% over the week, but that masked a lot of damage under the surface. First Republic Bank fell once again, closing 1.4% lower and extending this year's route to 90%. European markets had a rollercoaster week. They rallied off their lows following the Credit Suisse bailout, but then reversed to end Friday weaker as Deutsche Bank's credit default swaps exploded higher. The pan-European Stock 600 index tumbled 1.4% Friday, but was up 0.9% over the week. Asia-Pacific markets were lower on Friday as concerns over the banking sector weighed on sentiment. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng dropped 134 points, or 0.7%, to 19,920. For the week, the city's benchmark was up 2%, and that's the first back-to-back weekly gain since January. Hong Kong banks slid on Friday. With HSBC, one of the largest losers on the Hang Seng Index, closing almost 3% lower, Standard Chartered was down 2.7%. And it looks like Hong Kong stocks are going to open lower this morning. Futures are pointing to declines of around 138 points or 0.7% when the new trading week starts. And in the bond markets, the 10-year US Treasury yield fell three basis points to 3.37%, declining for three consecutive weeks. The two-year yield fell four basis points to 3.77%, that's its lowest level, in almost seven months. And for the 11th consecutive session through until Thursday, two-year Treasury yields moved more than 10 basis points a day. That's a run of wild swings not seen since 1981. And you can get more details on the latest market movements on my daily blog at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter
1: Lewis's Money Talk.
0: And let's go and join our guests. We have with us Alex Wong, Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management, and Louis Cois, who is Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. A very good morning to you both. Good morning, Peter. Um, So we saw a slide in the shares of Deutsche Bank on Friday, and that's reignited worries again about the health of the banking sector. Shares of Deutsche Bank down 14% at one stage. Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz sought to shore up confidence in the country's biggest bank. He said at a summit in Brussels... After being asked if the lender was the next Credit Suisse, he said Deutsche Bank has fundamentally modernised and reorganised its business and is a very profitable bank. There's no reason to be concerned about it. So, Alex, over the past fortnight, we've watched now as three mid-sized American banks failed. Then Credit Suisse suffered a run that ended with its false takeover by UBS. Now the vultures are circling Deutsche Bank. Are they right to be concerned at all about Deutsche Bank?
1: I think uh, for the health of Deutsche Bank, I'm, I'm a little bit confident. But um, for the banking shares, I think uh, it is still um, uh, it would still be under pressure because I think uh, people uh, would devalue the whole banking sectors uh, uh, in, the, in the stock market. But I don't think uh, the bank run will extend to uh, many banks. So uh, basically, uh, this is a Wall Street crisis for banks uh rather than a uh, mainstream crisis i think because uh uh the what 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 had happened in, in the in the past two weeks i think has has already stabilized uh, the bank went worry but uh investors actually would devalue the whole banking sector uh, and and that devaluation i think will last forever.
0: Why is it that um, the authorities are injecting billions of dollars into banks? I mean, um, First Republic Bank um, has had, what, $30 billion now injected into it, um, but it still keeps on sliding. It doesn't seem to stop the slide in the bank shares.
1: Well, because uh, uh, it highlights the, the low transparency of a bank banking stocks. Uh, we don't know much about the balance sheet strength uh, from an outsider. And uh, it is all about confidence, because if you do not inject enough liquidities, actually, depositors uh, would uh, be quite worried. And no banks actually can survive a uh, very abrupt bank one. So that's why we are seeing a very huge injection of cash. But uh, investors, I think, uh, would feel very comfortable because banks are are typically a highly leveraged business and low transparency. So that's Mm -hmm. why I think uh, this crisis highlights the problem of uh, investing in banking shares.
0: Look, Louis, does a, a banking crisis, can you explain a little bit about the process, about how that transmits to the the broader economy and impacts the broader economy, if it does at all?
2: Yeah, so, you know, any time that we have turmoil in the financial sector, like, like at the moment, then there are two obvious channels by which it impacts the, the real economy. One is that you know when banks have issues with their balance sheets they need to tighten up their own operations so they become They become less easy in terms of borrowing. Their their, their credit and financial standards are getting tighter. So that means there's less credit available. Mm. That is one. And secondly, people read about it and they get worried and they they maybe don't buy that car because they worry about the economy. So the the confidence uh, starts to affect how people spend and even how businesses uh, think about expansions and things like that.
0: And are there signs that this is now starting to affect the u s economy? Do you see anything at all in the data that is suggesting an impact?
2: It's very early day um, you know I'm eagerly awaiting the s p uh, pmI indices that will come out uh, I think it is at the very end of this week or early next week basically uh, for China they'll come out. I think the last day of the month for most others, uh, the first day of the of, of April, that should pick up some of that impact on confidence in the business sector. I think on the on the consumer side, I think there was some news that uh, uh, Citigroup uh, strategists referred to some tentative evidence of their. Both Citigroup's credit card businesses, mm-hmm. that 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 suggests that that uh, spending uh, came down. I don't know. I just read that as a news item, and it you know there are of course many many factors feeding into that. So it may be mm-hmm. early to say, but it you know it it's not impossible. Although I, I mean personally, I still wonder really whether you know the man on the street, how you say that in English, whether he really. Uh, starts to become worried about Wall Street bankers, uh, you know, struggling. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. No, I honestly, I don't know. It's something that we need to watch.
0: Do you think this makes the likelihood um, of a recession in the U.S. higher now?
2: You know, in line with my very last sentiment, I personally doubt it. uh, But we need to see. Mm. Like, I have a feeling that this is going to be relatively contained. It's a financial sector issue. Uh, is this really going to make companies stop hiring people? Is this really going to rein in the wage increases that people are asking for in the US? I, I personally doubt it, but you know, I, I may be wrong.
0: Mm. Alex, the problem with all of this is that the banking, essentially, it's a big confidence trick, isn't it? Because you have banks. <laughs> Um, who have short-term deposits that people want back um, on demand and then they lend it out for 20, 30 years to to fund people's mortgages and can't get it back. So um, the problem is when the confidence goes, as we saw with Credit Suisse, it it can go very, very quickly. Um, And I'm wondering, even with um, companies like Deutsche Bank, which are very strong, aren't they? They're profitable they have strong capital adequacy ratios, good liquidity buffers. None of that really matters when depositors take flight. Is that going to be the problem? And is that what's going to link maybe Deutsche Bank with, with Credit Suisse, despite the German Chancellor saying they're very different?
1: Oh, I think, uh, yeah, of course, uh, uh, if you think uh, you are very pessimistic, actually, it would, could be very bad because, as uh, no, I've said, no bank can survive a, a very abrupt bank one. But I think uh, we do have some insurance uh, program uh, uh, to protect uh, small depositors, depositors. And many banks actually have diversified funding source. So I think uh, that probably would contain the, the crisis to a certain degree. And large banks actually, I think, uh, would be in mail. middle. Bank probably would still be okay, I think. And, uh, but uh, of course, uh, uh, the banking shares actually would still be bad. Uh, because as I've said, um, uh, uh, people uh, know about the low transparency and high leverage of uh, uh, nature of banking shares and mm-hmm. also uh, because a uh, cocoa bond actually uh, uh, would, be, would be highly affected uh, in this crisis. So uh, banks actually uh, has very little way to increase their tier one capital. So a cut in dividend is uh, very likely uh, in the future. So that is also hurting the value of banking shares.
0: This, it's called a banking crisis, but it's not really a banking crisis, is it? It's a crisis caused by the Fed. They kept rates at zero. Uh, for so long, uh, and they printed, what, 20 trillion US dollars to try and fix the last crisis, that it's not really surprising that when they then suddenly raise interest rates by 500 basis points in just over a year to fight inflation, that you get all this volatility. This is, isn't it the Fed the root cause of this? Yeah, Peter,
1: also, uh, uh, no,
3: sorry.
1: sorry, go ahead, Art. Yeah, you can also blame the bank for their aggressiveness in man- managing the balance sheets. Because, uh, as highlighted in uh, in the SVP uh, case, uh, they actually invested uh, too much in in treasuries. They mm. thought they were safe, and they they need, they, they thought they could have, uh, hold it to maturity. But with a very abrupt bank one, actually, they are running out of uh, capital, and they need to liquidate with a loss.
0: And and they didn't hedge their interest rate risk, did they?
1: Yeah. Right. Yes. Peter, I just wanted to add
2: uh, on what, what what Alex said. You know. Um, Policymakers make all kinds of mistakes, but I'm not sure that you can blame this on on the Fed or all of other policymakers. You have worked yourself in the financial sector. These people are paid right to 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 prepare for for changes in the in the circumstances. Yes, there are a lot of negative side effects of a long period of of low interest rates, but you, you, I mean, you know these people in the financial sector are paid very high uh, num- numeration in order to, to change their ba- to make sure that their balance sheet is robust when mm-hmm. when the circumstances change and circumstances change like mm-hmm. uh, and you know I think it's also a lot of people uh, ask you know isn't it crazy that they have not cut interest rates when the financial sector is struggling well no they have two different instruments right the Fed the, like the the the, the monetary authorities have two instruments for two purposes, two two objectives. They use all those liquidity windows to deal with the. You no know, uh, outflows outflows and, and the liquidity situation, even as they need to use their interest rate policy to fight that very serious battle, which is not yeah. over at all, the battle against inflation.
0: So do they keep on raising interest rates to fight inflation? Yeah. Or does this create a, a dilemma for them in that? Can they do both? Can they sort of stabilize the markets in the face of what's going on with the banks, and at the same time, fight inflation?
2: they can yeah they can and you know um so the question you know on the on the question of will the next move be a raise or a cut that will crucially depend on how much weakening of the real economy we're going to see if there is no significant weakening of the real economy and inflation continues to power along which it is doing at the moment in the US when you look at core prices and how they are moving from month to month, if if there is no significant weakening in the economy, then then they will have to raise them again. And, uh, you know, we are quite impressed by, uh, like surprised by how the market is now pricing in these interest rate cuts. You, like, the, for, for the market to be right about that, the market has to believe that we're going to see a very dire economic situation in the mm-hmm. coming quarters in the U.S.
0: Alex, what do you think? Have the markets got it wrong here? They're pricing in now 100 basis points of rate cuts um, by by the end of the year. Do you think that's likely?
1: Oh, I think uh, it's, it's not too likely uh, because inflation actually is not contained. And, uh, and I think uh, these, these, uh, these rate cut expectations uh, actually has boosted asset prices again. So um that actually would 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 make it more di- a little bit difficult to 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 see rate cuts and and actually uh, banks probably would uh, would be would be a little bit contained in the in the lending. so I think uh, uh that would already produce uh, some um impact on the economy side so I think uh, they do not need to uh, do the aggressive rate cuts uh, by the end of this year
0: it, it, This is a bit of an odd banking crisis because if you look at the markets. Um, if you look at the s and p five hundred it was actually up for the week the The regional banking index was up as well in europe uh the stock six hundred banking index was down a little bit, but not much so if you looked at these things, you would have thought there 's nothing wrong it's it 's a bit bizarre isn 't it
1: oh yeah uh, yeah yeah because i think uh, uh first of all people are discounting a way cut soon so uh, that is a uh, uh, a supportive for 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 the market except banking shares. And then uh, we have the uh, AI boom in the technology sectors, and people actually like the megatech uh, companies because uh, they 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 treat them like treasuries. Uh, they they think uh, Apple is actually are, is very solid with a very uh, strong balance sheet and cash flow. Mm-hmm. It is uh, even better than the U.S. government, I think. So that's why we are seeing strength in certain sectors and supporting the whole market. But as I said, I think uh, the banking sector would be devalued uh, permanently. So uh, we are probably seeing funds coming out full from one sector and and probably we may see pressures in the resources sectors as well but uh technology probably would uh would keep the market up forward.
0: yeah i was looking at the new york stock exchange fan, Fang index it's up over 33 percent now just for this uh this quarter and then you've got the video up eighty three and a half percent in the quarter meta up 71 percent enormous moves aren't they oh
1: uh, yeah because uh because I think uh, 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 we have we have seen a renewal of uh, expectations that the weight hike cycle is coming to an end and mm. even we may start a weight cut cycle. So that this is, I think, uh, why we are seeing a boost in the asset prices.
2: Louis,
0: when you look at the bond markets, the the volatility in the bond markets right now is just, um, just enormous. We've had eleven straight trading days mm-hmm. where the two year yield, two year Treasury yield, has moved more than ten um, basis points. We haven't seen anything like that since the beginning of the the nineteen eighties. But I'm wondering um, if there's any sort of warning signal we should be taking from the bond markets.
2: Yeah, people often look at the yield curve, right? And whenever you see uh, it. Uh, having a negative slope the, the, the old age uh, the, 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 the complete wisdom is then that, that that is heralding a recession mm. uh, or at least a significant economic weakness the kind of weakness that would lead the authorities to lower the short term policy rate um, so you know um, it's hard to say where exactly we are on the policy rate now compared to the peak uh it's probably reasonable to say that interest rates in you know in two and a half years time will be lower than where they are now so there mm-hmm. is there is logic right to that to the negative yield slope what what the story will be for the real economy underneath that will be the big question in the coming in the coming quarter but it it yeah it's not it's not so bizarre to see a, a negatively sloped yield curve and of course as you said you know it is the volatility that has been Amazing, And that is, uh, yeah, it's probably not over yet either, as these expectations on what the current conditions mean for policy rates, as, they, as those expectations keep on bumping around.
0: What does this mean, Louis, for China's economic outlook? Over the weekend, um, Hang Xu, Deputy Head of the, uh, the Communist Party's Office for Financial and Economic F- Affairs, said the economic recovery um, is not solid enough and then we also had uh, the head of the IMF talking about um, China at the um, over the weekend at the China Development Forum in Beijing. And now she forecasts China's economy to grow 5.2 percent this year, driven by a rebound in private consumption. Where are we? Are you seeing? We're going to get the PMI data, aren't we, later this week from China? But are you seeing signs that um, the, the economy is recovering as, Ch- as the country reopens?
2: Yeah, I think we have pretty good signs from the high frequency indicators, you know, all these indicators that we have on mobility and mobility, you know, in subways, on the road, but also on things like housing sales. It's quite remarkable how the housing sector uh, seems to have bottomed out. Um, more generally on, on the production side uh, steel uh, in the steel sector uh, so we have quite a, quite a decent picture. of course the f- data for the first two months was also uh, quite reasonable so I think it's you know it, it is not at all uh, it, it's not at all a wild guess to to say that China's recovery is on track and and that will def- you know that will help this region. Uh, I think that, China's recovery for most other economies will not offset the slowdown in the West. Not completely, but it will definitely dampen the impact of that global slowdown.
0: The, the, um, the, the new government in Beijing clearly prefers certain sectors in the economy, doesn't it? Like consumption, tech, green, uh, the green economy, healthcare, um, and so on. Um, Do you think now China, it seems to be trying to set up more sort of centralized control over the economy. Do you think it's got the tools to be able to boost those preferred sectors?
2: Well, you know, um, as you know, like industrial policy is uh, nowadays uh, totally accepted, uh, also in the West. And governments will continue to use industrial policy to steer capital and to, to, you know, to prioritize and, and to subsidize certain sectors, um, you don't want to overdo it as a government. It's hard. It continues to be hard for the government to pick winners and losers. So uh, at the end of the day, you need the private sector with you. Uh, and and you, there are limits to the extent to which you can steer the private sector and the extent to which you can steer capital. So, um, you know, when, when we see that in China they... Uh, have doubled down on you know trying to uh, trying to stimulate high tech sectors and other promising sectors you know it doesn't seem to be unreasonable it's kind of like along the lines of what uh, other countries are doing but you need to watch out and as i said like you you need to make sure that uh, at the end of the day you let businesses make the most important decisions and they will have to also be accountable and they're the brunt of it so you, you you cannot go against business and against the market with this
0: Alex, what are your thoughts about the market over here? We've seen the MSCI China Index give up all its gains now um, for the year, despite that economic confidence that Louis was just talking about. What are your thoughts going forward?
1: I think uh, uh, China is actually is a, is a, is a, is a polarised market. Uh, we, we have the private sectors and the uh, SOE. Right now, we are seeing a retracement in the SOE sectors because uh the latest results are uh, a uh, little bit disappointing and also we are seeing a cut in dividend by certain uh, huge corporates so uh, that's why we are seeing a retracement in the soe sectors and we are seeing some rebound in in the private sectors uh uh led by 10 cents so uh, fairly likely i think uh, we may see a uh, rebound in china shares uh, uh, going forward uh, because uh, private sectors actually accounted for uh, larger shares uh, of the index so we may may see some little uh, some strength in the short term, but I think uh, the 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 real play would be the SOEs. I think uh, they would still uh, be raising dividend in the long term, and I think uh, people probably would go for a safer place. And and also they would think uh, the role of SOE in the China economy actually would be bigger uh, from now on. So uh, I I would see that uh, China actually is a, is is having a bull market and bear market together a bull market in SOE and a bear market in private enterprises. So we are likely to see um, the dynamics between these two markets uh, for a while.
0: Are um, banks out here, are they immune from the turmoil in the West? I mean, we have seen the share price of HSBC standard chartered sort of decline in, on s- sort of sentiment issues, really. But but are they generally immune?
1: Uh, I think uh, they, they probably will still be devalued because, as I've said, at uh after this crisis, a bank would be more difficult to, to raise their uh, T1 capital. So we are likely to see a change in their dividend expectations uh, for the long term. So mm-hmm. that is a hurt in value uh, and uh, that, that we're going to hurt their value. So I think uh, they probably will still be uh, trading in a lower range. But of course, uh, they, will a, a trouble, trouble, tr- they will not be in a trouble trouble. They will be in deep trouble. So I think uh, we probably see them their shares uh, to trade lower. But uh, that doesn't mean that their business actually would get bad. Uh, it would 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 get bad. But I think uh, uh, that is uh, uh, the different expectations and the and the expectations that, that they would be uh, more prudent in their lending. So I think uh, that is hurting their, their their business and profitability. So that is not that is not related to their health, but that is related to profitability.
0: Okay, well, thank you both very much there for your thoughts. Great to hear you. You heard Alex Wong, who is director of Alex K Y Wong Asset Management. Louis Cois, who is chief Asia economist at S and P Global Ratings. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. I'm joined now by Ben Cavender, who is managing director at the China Market Research Group App in Shanghai. Very good morning, Ben. Good morning. Um, Let me ask you, first of all, your thoughts on the the banking crisis that we're seeing um, in the West. What what do you think is behind it, and and do you think it's been contained at all now?
3: Yeah, I think it's been a a very interesting week and a half or so, you know, speaking with a lot of companies that maybe had some exposure to SVB or, or investors that had previously been, you know, very heavily invested into smaller regional banks in the U.S. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of the crisis is almost sort of self-manufactured maybe by some investors that were, were pointing at some of the problems that SVB had, even though, you know, realistically, they, they still had uh, – Quite a nice balance sheet. They they got put under pressure very quickly. That's now really had a knockdown effect of, of putting a lot of pressure on some smaller regional banks in the U.S. That maybe you know weren't in quite as good a position. So um, I, I definitely think this is going to be a little bit of a little bit of a drag on uh, the the startup world in the U.S., um, making it quite a bit more difficult maybe for for smaller startups to get access to some of the funding they need. But overall, I, I don't think we're really looking at true systemic risk right now. Are you
0: surprised that the vultures are now circling banks like Deutsche Bank?
3: Yeah, it's 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 really been interesting to see how this this has unfolded and, and the kind of pressure that it's caused for um, some of these you know quite large uh, global banks. I think there's a sort of a degree of opportunism in play, but it, it has pointed out maybe that um, the way that some of these banks were were structuring some of their investments and and the way that they were parking some of the the deposits that they had in place really maybe were not um, done as cleverly maybe as the the bankers might have thought. Um, I I don't think that long term this is going to create huge problems but I I do think it's sort of created quite a bit of turmoil certainly in the short term.
0: And what about out here in China? Is the banking model here um, different to the US and Europe such that Chinese banks and Hong Kong banks are immune from contagion elsewhere?
3: Uh, you know, I, I do think that there is some degree of there being a, a firewall in place. And I, and I don't think that the the banking crisis that we've seen in the U.S. and Europe is really directly going to put that much pressure on Chinese banks. But having said that, I, I, I do think that there is. Still, a fair amount of risk within the Chinese banking system. I, you know, I think if you look at the large state-owned banks, uh, they're in you know, overall quite a quite a good position. They tend to be quite conservative, and I, and I don't think there's going to be much pressure on them. But if you look at a lot of the smaller regional banks, it's still very much kind of wild, wild west in the sense that you have still quite a bit of private ownership in these banks. That's that's not potentially you know, well documented and, and that can create some conflicts of interest in, as far as how lending happens. And I think that's why you've seen the central government here really try to exert more control at the national level over what these banks can do. Um, but that's a long way of saying that that no, I, I think that China's sort of mostly isolated from what's happened in the US. Um, but there is still some risk here. I think the bigger issue though is probably Uh, When you look at a lot of Chinese startups that maybe previously were looking at raising foreign capital um, outside of China through uh, kind of interesting corporate structure, so variable interest entities, they have a problem now now because it's going to be much harder following the SVB collapse for them to get access to that kind of funding. So what this is all leading to maybe is – Chinese companies, again, really having to rely on you know more and more of their fundraising and growth to happen within China. So again, sort of this, this decoupling of the Chinese economy from the global economy.
0: It, it seems to be the theme the world over, doesn't it? That it's the smaller regional banks that people are concerned about. That's true in the US. Um, if you look in Germany, you have these sparkars and these thousands of, of little regional um, sort of banks. And we have it in China as well, don't we? Because there has been uh, some various sort of financial problems. We had uh, Baoshang Bank, the bankruptcy of that. Then we had uh, the run on Henfeng Bank. So even in China, the smaller regional banks do seem to be having problems.
3: Yeah, it's definitely an issue here. I mean, this tradition of smaller regional banks in China having problems definitely goes back a couple of years because you had large entities like HNA that had basically taken over smaller regional banks, essentially to their benefit to make it much easier for them to, to borrow money and, and load up on debt. Um, and so that's kind of been a, a persistent problem here. And I think the reality is, is that there is more and more oversight coming into play and the Central government talks a lot about how they're reducing systemic risk by having more oversight in place over the banks and also over you know other types of sort of financial instruments that are being offered to investors here. But the reality is, is that on some level, it's still a little bit of a black box. And it's very hard for somebody to know how solvent or how how safe an investment in one of these smaller uh local or regional players might be because there just sometimes isn't that much information. So so I think that the, there definitely still is risk within the banking sector here, though by and large it, it does tend to be more conservative probably than the US.
0: What about the big banks? Obviously, they're state-owned, so they're widely perceived to have the, the support of the governments, which, which isn't going to let them fail. But nevertheless, they've had problems of their own as well, haven't they? They're heavily exposed to large property developers, many of which have now defaulted on their loans. Is this problem contained?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, the problem is coming under control now. Though having said that, I think you know sentiment in – the, the, the sort of the real estate space here and what's happening with larger developers is still quite negative in China. When, when you look at, you know, what's happening with real estate investment here, it's, it's still substantially down from, from where it was pre COVID. And I think when you sort of do checks on, you know, corporate optimism, consumer optimism in that space, it's still, still quite negative. So I think, yes, that, that does put some pressure on the, the large national banks. I think the big issue we're facing right now is, you know, we, we've had, you know, you know, reserve rate cuts here, with the idea being that uh, the government wanted to get more liquidity in the market, get more lending to to smaller businesses, um, and that really just hasn't happened because the the large banks now are playing so conservative because they've been you know worried about the bad press they've gotten because they've been worried about their uh, balance sheets a little bit. You're just not getting the actual lending needed to really help these mm-hmm. sort of medium and smaller companies that are sort of perceived as being higher risk. And so that in turn makes it much more difficult, I think, for China to sort of hit its 5 percent growth target for the year or that might be why the growth target has been sort of posted as being so conservative when a lot of people were expecting maybe the government to be shooting a bit higher for 5.5 percent or six percent this year so i think because of the risk um we're seeing maybe slower growth coming out of covid than maybe a lot of the the leaders here would have liked to have seen
0: and and we've one of the uh, outcomes of the SVB collapse is that it's really hit venture capital fundraising which in turn um makes funding for startups difficult. You mentioned small businesses in China. Is this problem just going to make it worse now that it's going to be harder uh, for small companies to raise money?
3: Yeah, I I think it is. It is creating a little bit of a winter <laughs> for smaller companies right now. They don't really have a lot of great op in terms of where they can turn for for capital at the moment, and um, unfortunately, you know, you know, coming out of uh, you know a recession or a, you know very uneven economy like we've you know seen due to COVID, um, it is going to be quite difficult for a lot of these smaller businesses to get the funding they need unless they are in sectors. That have really sort of gotten the mandate from the state to say these sectors are sort of must-win areas where we need to see growth so i think for example you'll see businesses that are maybe in biotech for example still getting prefer- preferential access to funding because the government will essentially go to investment funds and say listen you really need to support the sector this is a priority for us but i think for a lot of other players it- it's going to be quite difficult right now to get the funding that that they need to be able to grow or to maintain operations.
0: How do the local China markets perform uh, through this turmoil? We've seen the MSCI China give up its gains now um, for the year. Um, what's the outlook going forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, traditionally what has happened around uh, the, the, you know, national meetings that we've just had is that the Market is sort of performs in a choppy manner prior to the meetings, and then usually the meetings give enough good signaling on the economy that you see kind of a bump afterwards. And I think that's what a lot of analysts maybe had expected this time around, and it just hasn't happened. We, we've had really you know, quite quite poor performance um, following the meetings, and I think that's because – There's still so much uncertainty about the strength of the economy. I think a lot of people were hoping maybe that there would be more signaling from the government about sort of large scale uh, activity to boost uh, consumer spending. Um, And that just really hasn't happened. There also hasn't been a tremendous amount of support for the real estate sector either. And so the result of that is I think a lot of investors are looking to see maybe what uh, future corporate earnings look like coming out of China, because they're looking to see a recovery in domestic consumption, which we just haven't seen so far yet. You know, consumer inflation is still, unlike in the rest of the world, incredibly low in China. Consumers are still being very conservative about how they spend, other than how they're spending on travel and, and sort of experiences where where they are willing to open their wallets. But for buying stuff right now, uh, the, the market is still really weak. Um, also, I, I think there's a lot of concern that Export demand for Chinese products is also continuing to be weak right now. And so I think there's just, there isn't enough positive sentiment about the consumer side of things or global demand side of things to keep the market going in the right direction. And that, that's why we've seen the sell off. And I, I would expect that probably the next couple of months, unless we see some really strong Chinese corporate earnings come out, are probably going to be quite choppy and we, we're not going to see a lot of gains in the market.
0: And thank you very much indeed. That's Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, uh, along with information on other headlines and market moves on my daily blog. Take a look at Peter peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, James Wong, chief executive officer at Cathasia Securities, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. Bye for now. Money Talk.